We're going to begin our time in prayer, and then uh, we'll hop into our series this morning. So, Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that you are in control. I thank you, Lord, that nothing surprises you and that you are our God and that you love us. You hold us up. Uh, you know everything about us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, even in these times that seem a lot of uncertainty and worry and stress and anxiety about what's next, Father, I just pray that you continue to give us the peace and the strength we need. Give us the wisdom we need. Coming for you now in this time, and <clears throat> Lord, I pray that your spirit would just speak to our hearts, even through these, this avenue of, of worshiping you and being in your word. Father, your spirit would move in each and every household that watches this video. Father, you would just draw us into your presence. Lord, that you alone would be glorified, that your will would be done in each and every life that hears your word spoken. Father, your spirit would move in lives of those who are going to listen that do not know you. Father, that they would be brought into a place of conviction and repentance and that they would be saved. Father, I just thank you so much for allowing us to continue to worship together, even if it's not in person, but be able to stay in contact and to see that you are still doing a great and mighty work in us and through us and through Harvest Hill. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Be with us, guide us, lead us, be our shepherd as we go through your word. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God's in charge of what I preach. With the uncertainty that's going on in the world, and <clears throat> it seems like every time you turn on the news or look at the news, things are changing. This series for me has brought me a lot of hope, and there's been times where the Spirit just reminded me that, you know, this place isn't our home, and even though people are... are struggling and wrestling with things that we have a promise here in God's word that we've been walking through this is now week five um, of the resurrection that is to come this place is not our home and so we're going to continue our resurrection series um, this is Palm Sunday and next week will be Easter and we'll wrap up the series on Easter we're going to be in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and we're going to begin in verse 35 here in a moment and work our way through verse 49 in our time together but now I don't know about you but when I when I was growing up, I had some favorite toys that allowed me to social distance myself from my brother for hours. And sometimes we'd play together, but sometimes it was best if we were in other rooms. And maybe guys probably can relate to some of these toys. You know, G.I. Joe, I mean, that was one of my favorites. You know, got to get tough. Yo, Joe. Um, I, I love G.I. Joe. And then there's He-Man. Uh, that was a great cartoon, and I love those toys. Of course, my parents only let me have some of the bad guys because uh, Grayskull looked too demonish, and so uh, I had He-Man, and I, I think I had, he had to fight Skunk Man a lot. But uh, you know, he had the power when he raised up his sword. And and uh, then there was Mask. I don't know if you all remember Mask. Uh, mask was these little guys and they had vehicles that would change and so it was like a combination of G.I. Joe and then my other, other favorite toy which was Transformers you know more than meets the eye and what I loved about Transformers is you basically got two cool toys in one I mean you would have a jet that could fly around and do battles and then it would transform into this robot and do something completely di different and then they developed transformers that didn't just transform into one thing, but into three things. And I remember one specifically I had was a tank that transformed into a jet and then also transformed into a robot. And then they even topped it beyond that, that they had five transformers, each individually that changed into something. But then you could put them all together and have this massive transformer that you could play with. And that was just awesome to me. And I think most people 
are probably more familiar with Transformers than some of those other toys, uh, particularly because of recent movies that came out. But Transformers took this concept of something that was already pretty cool in like a jet or a tank, and, and they made semis cool, and then it would change into something better and stronger. And Transformers actually give us a great modern-day illustration of the power of the resurrection in our lives and the focus this morning as we take on transformed resurrection. Believers, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, are more than meets the eye. Once again, we're going to be turning to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, right after Romans, right before 2 Corinthians. We're going to begin in verse 35. To transform is to make a thorough and dramatic change in form, appearance, or character. And Paul understood this is what the power and meaning of the resurrection should have for believers. In Romans chapter 12, we read, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word transformed in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is the word in English that we receive for metamorphosis. And we're probably more familiar with that, the cycle of metamorphosis through a caterpillar to butterfly. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines the act of being transformed as representing the thorough change in the nature of a Christian's life as it comes to conform to God's will. And this is what Paul is dealing with in verses 35 through 49. But not just in our earthly vessels, but in our bodies, our final and eternal transformation that we all will experience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faith in it. So let's read our passage and we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 35, the word of the Lord says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised and what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Verse 40, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Verse 47, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. If you haven't noticed even in this chapter and other letters of Paul, that Paul likes to drive home the point through questions. And sometimes through the act of questions, he brings up an absurdity of belief. We've already encountered many questions just in chapter 15 alone. Questions in Scripture are allow the reader to focus on what is about to be instructed, and it sometimes allow the reader to understand a stupidity of belief. And yeah, you heard that right, a stupidity of belief. In verse 35, these are questions that have been raised to which Paul is now taking on 
But the individuals who raised these questions actually thought these were a valid point to counteract the resurrection. And so we can understand that Paul thinks this is a stupid belief and has no validity because of how he responds to it in verse 36. He says, you foolish person. Some translations simply say fool or you fool, which doesn't sound very nice or godly. I mean, after all, in Matthew chapter 5, we read, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And since that is the case, how does the Holy Spirit direct Paul to use such a harsh rebuke? Well, there is one instance in Scripture to which people are to be called fools. In Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. In Psalm chapter 92, it's emphasized a different way. It says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. So when Paul is saying, You foolish person, and he's, he's not saying this to all the believers in Corinth, but some of the believers in Corinth. He is saying that some of these believers are fools because they are deniers of God. This is what it means to be a fool biblically. They are fools because they deny God their maker. And how are they denying God? Because they are denying the work of God through Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And even though we've been breaking chapter 15 up in sections, these, these questions and the rebuke in verse 36 is actually connected to verse 34 that we looked at last week, where Paul says, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Paul is calling some of the believers, not all, but some of the believers, fools. And in this church in Corinth, Paul has come to the realization there are two types of groups of people in this church to which he is addressing. There are those who know God and those who don't. Those who know God, Paul says to wake up, to come to your senses. Those who don't know God, Paul is calling fools. And he's calling them fools for the sake of those who do know God can know that these individuals with a corrupted view of the resurrection are denying God and the work of Jesus Christ, which he completed in his sacrifice and resurrecting from the grave. And so in these verses, Paul is breaking down the transforming power of the resurrection through analogy of a seed. Now last week, Jamie and I started something that we've been talking about doing for several years, and that was in having a family garden. And I know several of our Harvest Hill families have been taking on this activity. I've enjoyed seeing some of your posts. And I honestly think that I need some tips. I may need Levi to come over to my house and show me how to get this done because we have planted stuff, but the only thing I see evidence of is planting dirt. Uh, there's nothing sprouting. I told my mom and she said, well, you just need to be patient. So I told my mom, but they're magic beans. They should be growing by now. Um, she didn't buy that, but... I understood what I wanted to see happen in putting the seeds into the dirt. And even though Paul's not a gardener or farmer, he's using this analogy of a seed to give us understanding to the meaning and power of the resurrection. The analogy is to point out that a seed will go into a ground a certain way, but it comes out of the ground completely different. It becomes transformed. Through the analogy, the Bible is telling us when we die and are put into the ground or wherever you're going to have your burial done, we are not reanimated. We are not patched up. We are not duct taped back together. Instead, because of the resurrection, we are transformed new. 
The analogy is to give a picture of a seed being planted and the seed dying. Again, Paul is not trying to have an argument about being a farmer or the germination conversation. He is painting an image to understand the idea of a seed dying is so it can be transformed, become something unlike its original form. It is a complete and new transformation. And so though Paul has been led to deal with an eternal transformation in this passage, this transformation has, has actually begun already in the life of the believer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And Jesus used a similar analogy or illustration in his ministry in dealing with the seed. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's from John chapter 12. This analogy of a seed dying connects to what Paul said previously in verse 31 about him dying every day. And the beauty of our future resurrection in Christ is we are not reconstructed out of what we have in this life, but we become something completely different, completely new. One commentator writes that the afterlife to which Christians ultimately look forward to is not the experience of a leaf after it has died and fallen from a tree only to rot away, but more like the experience of a seed that germinates and then enters into a flourishing life of color and beauty to which its previous existence is hardly capable of being compared. With the changing of seasons and trees beginning to bloom and flowers beginning to come up, things seemingly coming back to life, God has given us a visual every single year to share in the power of the resurrection. God has opened the door every time this year for us to deliver a message of hope, deliver the message of the gospel, and to point out to the certainty that we have as God's people of God's sovereignty over His creation. We're in the midst of a transformation of seasons, which would speak, should speak hope to our hearts even in the midst of these troublesome times, that we too one day will be transformed into something new and beautiful, all because we place our faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul's led to hammer this home later in the chapter in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The promise of revelation when God reigns supreme over all creation is, Behold, I am making all things new. Now what an incredible promise and word God has given us to have hope beyond our current circumstances. And to drive home this analogy, Paul expands it by turning to God's created order. Look there in verse 39. He says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for, uh, for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. What Paul is led to do here by the Spirit is to take the transforming power of the resurrection to transform us into something new to, and to point out to the uniqueness of God's creation. The thought is to remind us there are so many different types of bodies within God's created order. There are humans, there are animals, there are fish, there are birds. There are also so many different types of, of bodies within the heavens. There is the sun and the moon and the stars. And so we should never assume that we're going to be resurrected into the same type of body that we presently have. Each aspect of God's creation was created unique. 
Each aspect of God's creation has its own splendor according to God and how He created it. Each aspect of God's creation has its own purpose and unique purpose. And so the resurrection in God's created order working all around us is a reminder that we all will be transformed unique and different. Paul's led to remind us wherever we look, we see the evidence and uniqueness of God's creation. Even stars differ from star in glory. And so we have the evidence in the marvelous and beautiful world to which God has placed us in of what is going to happen when we enter into eternity. It means with all this troublesome news that is going on in the world, God has put His good news on display to remind us as believers there is hope, there is promise, there is something greater to come. Seasons are changing. Spring is in the air. This virus has not stopped spring from happening. You don't know why? Because nothing can stop God's will. I know there's many allergy sufferers out there that are experiencing the results of spring coming, and they're hoping people, when they see them, don't think they have the COVID-19 because they're sneezing or coughing or their eyes are watering. But hear this, God created life. God gives life, and God sustains life. And so these two analogies that Paul uses in this moment are setting up the answers to the question that he began with in verse 35. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Or another way to read that is, what kind of body will they have? And so Paul's moving from the natural now to the spiritual aspect of this conversation. Yet even through these analogies, the Bible reminds us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Which means even with all the evidence, even though the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim His handiwork, even with us as witnesses and ambassadors of God's truth and God's certainty and God's word that will never change, even to be able to look out in all creation and say, here's the evidence of God doing a great and mighty work and there's even a greater and mightier work coming when we believe in Him and we're going to be resurrected. There are going to be people in our life that cannot and will not believe it. They just won't get it. But that does not stop us as believers from understanding that God is presently at work and doing a great and mighty work all around us. Look in verse 42. It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. The word sown in verse 42 connects this to Paul's previous analogy of the seed. Paul's explanation of the resurrected body of believers, the, the resurrected body that we will receive, plays in direct contrast to the current body that we have. Our bodies are perishable. They're corrupted. They're broken. They're in dishonor. They're weak. The evidence is plain to see during our time in this world. But Praise God we're not preparing for an update like our phones or devices. When the time comes and Jesus takes us home to eternal glory, we're not going to be plugged into some sort of mainframe like Neo from the Matrix and given new abilities. We're going to receive a complete transformation in body that is imperishable, incorruptible, immortal, one in glory and one in power. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, our promise to resurrect, we are preparing for transformed glory. In verses 41 through 43, Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to use the word glory seven times. That word glory can also be read as splendor. Maybe that's a shirt we need during this time. Don't judge, one day I'll be transformed splendor. Sounds like a shirt that has a lot of glitter, maybe some bedazzling. So maybe, Nicole, you can get on that and work in. And when we go back out in public, we can all have these beautiful splendor shirts. 
But Paul's comparing and contrasting the body we have to the body that we will receive is revealing the power of the resurrected Christ to fully swallow all the effects and impacts of sin and the fall of humanity. Another commentator writes, to live in a resurrected body is to experience the new mode of existence, life directed and empowered by the Spirit, suitable to the age to come in a body untainted by sin and death in any sense. You know, as I get older, I realize that more things seem to hurt. I can't sleep on my right shoulder at night unless I want to wake up and the whole next day and just be in pain. I've pulled my back by simply looking over my shoulder before I cross the road. I've pulled a muscle in my leg by watching my son run in his cross-country meet. You hear that? I pulled a muscle by watching someone else run. I don't need to be told that this body is not going to last. I am fully aware that there is an expiration date set. And as we get older and we get sick and we pull muscles, we're reminded that the body that we currently live in is plagued by the fall found in Genesis 3. We are all plagued with sin. We all have this character from Adam, this disease everyone is carrying and is transmitted at birth. But the beauty of the resurrection is this body which is failing to receive a new body, not like Adam's, but like Christ. Verse 44, it is sown or buried in the natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ reversed the results of sin and by our faith in the resurrected Christ, one day we will fully experience what the Bible is promising us in these verses and it will be unlike anything we have ever experienced or could imagine or known in this life. We have never known a life without sin. We have never known a life without pain and suffering. We have never known a life without aches and illnesses. But... By our faith in Jesus Christ, we all will because of the resurrection. So if you're dealing with any of these things today or on a daily basis, this is a moment to say, Amen, thank you, Jesus. Finally, we see in these verses, in verses 45 through 49, the resurrection, the promise of the eternal resurrected glory is to impact us today, now. Verse 45, it thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Because of the resurrection and our faith in it, we are to have a transformed living. This body is marked by Adam's sin, but the way we live is not to be. The word born in verse 49 could also be read as worn. Just as we have borne or worn the image of the man of dust, that's speaking of Adam and sin, we shall also bear or wear the image of the man of heaven, speaking of Jesus Christ and our salvation. And here it is, by the way we live right now, we reveal we are either marked by our relationship to Adam, our sin, or to Christ, our salvation. What does the world see us wearing? Is it Adam or is it Christ? What does the world see us associated with? Is it our sin or is it our salvation? 
In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we are commanded to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It mirrors the instructions of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now, in using this analogy that Paul began with, if we take this seed analogy and apply it to our present life, the seed of the gospel has been preached to us. It's being preached right now, and it's been planted into our heart. And for many of us, it has taken root and is now to begin growing out of our life by the way we conduct ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We have been given a transformed identity in Christ so we would be living a transformed life for Christ. This is the power of the resurrection and it will impact us that it's supposed to have the impact on us today and tomorrow and into eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, and so we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. But here's the thing. We cannot behold the glory of the Lord. We cannot be transformed. And we cannot put on our new self unless we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This world is changing. Our bodies are changing. It seems almost every day they're changing policies and procedures. And no wonder so many people that are stressed and struggling with an anxiety and are worried about what's going to happen next. You need to hear this. Our God does not change. And God's love for you will never change. Perhaps you're listening to this today and you need to accept God's gift of love for you. This is the good news that you need. It's what we call the gospel. God created you for a relationship with Him. The problem you and I both had is that we were born into sin. We were born in the image of the man of dust. And though we try to remove that sin ourselves by doing good things and maybe I'll just be a good person, the Bible reveals I can't resent, remove my sin problem. But God knows that too. And He loves me that so much and loves you so much. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins on the cross. They placed Him in a tomb and He rose three days later. The Bible says, when I believe that in my heart to be truth, something that will never change, that Jesus Christ died for me and rose again, and I confess that with my mouth, I will be saved. This is the gospel and is a gift for everyone. And we were given the promise of eternal life when we accept this gift. You might be listening this morning, and this is something you need to do. In this world of uncertainty, you need the certainty of your salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. And so I'd like to lead you in a prayer. You just have to say, Father, I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins and rose again that I may be forgiven. And I am accepting him as my Lord and Savior today. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something. Even though we may not be physically together, the heavens erupted through that prayer. God is fully aware of your heart. And I'd also like to encourage you to reach out to me. My name is Mike Hirsch, and you can find me on Facebook. You can email me at pastormike at harvesthill.org and let me know, hey, I prayed that prayer. What do I need to do now? I'd like to encourage you and, and, and get you on the right course to grow in this relationship that you've now begun with Jesus Christ and God, our Lord and Savior. 
But believers, we live in a time where people are looking for hope and for answers, and we have it because of the eternal security we have in God's Word. Let's live it out. Let people see Christ. We are wearing Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We're keeping step with the Spirit instead of all the things that the world is struggling with right now. We have the hope that they need. I like to close in prayer, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper through this medium. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for allowing us to be together, even if it's through uh, the Internet. But Lord, thank you for giving these resources and these assets to us that we can join together as one people, as one body, and to lift you up. I ask that you just take this and use it however you see fit, that your kingdom and glory will continue to be revealed and done. Again, thank you for allowing us all to be a part of what you're doing. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.